is the one whom Micah said will be born in Bethlehem. And his goings forth are not from Bethlehem. Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem in the sense that he began to be or when he was conceived nine months earlier. No, he was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and thus what is conceived in your womb will be called, he will be called the Son of the Highest. God himself entered the human race. And Micah said, he'll be born in Bethlehem, but his goings forth are from all eternity. I'm telling you today, there is one unique personage in the human race. And he is human. He was born of the seed of David, okay, according to the flesh. But he is God. God himself entered the human race. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And Pastor Scott brings a message from chapter 16 titled, Who Do You Say That I Am? We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? I encourage people to think about that. I encourage you today. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? Ask it of people. You don't have to have all the answers, by the way. If you're a Christian, you want to talk to people. You just ask, what do you think about Jesus? Because he's the issue. Who do you say that I am? Well, you ask it today or you ask it when Jesus asked it. And watch, verse 14, their answers. They said, because he's not saying, who do you say that I am? He's saying, who do people say? You know, who do people say? What are people saying today about Jesus? Well, some, look at verse 14, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Wow, that's exactly what I hear today. Just about everybody has some sort of vague thought about Jesus. Many will just say, he's a prophet, (laughs) or... The cults, by the way, this is how you can identify a cult. The cults will always deny who Jesus Christ really is, okay? And hence, they'll never understand what he really did on the cross. But the cults will answer it, well, he's an angel. Or he's sort of the half-brother of a very prominent cult in America today will say, that he's the half-brother of Lucifer. You say, really? Yeah. People say these sorts of things. And what they're saying, really, is that most of their answers, notice verse 14, some say John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was dead at this point. But remember two chapters ago, Herod had killed him. But when Herod heard what Jesus was doing, he realized this is no mere man, what he was doing. And so he had this guilty superstition. He thought, I think John the Baptist has risen from the dead. That's why he has these miraculous powers. And there were quite a few people that kind of thought that way, just like Herod. Napoleon said of Jesus, I know men. And, you know, good leaders, whether whether they use their power and their leadership for good or bad, when I say a good leader could be a very crummy guy, you know, but a, a good leader studies men, men and women, you know what I mean, human And uh, he says, I know men, and Jesus was no mere man, Napoleon said. 
everybody that really looks at him comes up with something to explain him. Oh, he's a prophet or John the Baptist, maybe he's risen from the dead, or Elijah. Every, even today, in Jewish homes that are observant, at Passover, they will leave a chair empty for Elijah because the Old Testament left the, the final, as the Bible pointed toward the Messiah coming, he said, I'm going to raise up before his way Elijah, and he will prepare the way for the great day of the Lord. So they said, maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's this miraculous one who will come. Uh, people will say he's a moralist. People will tell me all kinds of things. When I ask them today, and I ask you, you know, ask yourself the question, but uh, answers are very, very similar. Uh, people will come up with something. Even people who don't follow Christ at all will say, he was a man ahead of his time, man, I'll tell you that. Or he was a great guy. You know, he taught a lot of good lessons for us. Well, those are all inadequate answers to the question, but you'll still hear them, and you'll hear them often. Well, verse 15, he, Jesus, said to them, who do you say that I am? He takes it from, what are people saying? And I do that today. I ask you not what people in Portland are saying, but who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? You know, And I'll tell you, that is a, a great question. I was at Portland State as a business major, and I took a communication class basically because it fit my schedule, and I'd heard it was easy. You know? <laughs> so I thought, why not? You know? And you needed it for graduation. But it was a night class, I remember, and so it only met twice, I think, twice a week. And, and uh, this communications prof, he was very, it was in that era, and it's, we're still in that era, really, that he wanted us to kind of do self-exploration and, you know. And so he said, we had to write a paper for the class. And he said, and people said, well, what do you want it on? You know, like you would. And he said, anything. He said, what? I heard this class was easy. I know it's easy now. <laughs> write a paper on anything. And that's what he said. And he kind of felt that it might be a real, uh, you know, personal discovery thing to write a paper. Well, it was just as I was starting to get serious about realizing who Jesus Christ was. So I titled my paper, verse 15, only I left out the, the introduction there, Who Do You Say That I Am? was the title of my term paper. And this is back when we had to turn them in in certain format, you know. And so I remember tossing it on the pile and he saw the title. And as I was leaving class, he said, who do you say that I am? Ooh, that's good. You know, that'll be, he was excited. And I, of course, he said, you could write on anything. And I wanted him to know this ultimate question. Needless to say, he was a little disappointed when he read the paper. I barely passed the class, but I did. But I think, you know, who do you say that I am? It's not a question of self, although that is a good question. And our age is still asking that. Who am I? What am I here for? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? Purpose, origin, destiny. Those questions are open. And I'll tell you this. You'll never really know who you are until you know who he is. Because we were created for relationship with our creator. Well, anyway, Jesus isn't asking, who are you? He's saying, who do you say that I am? And notice verse 17, or 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. All other answers are ultimately inadequate. But Peter spoke up, and sometimes when he speaks up, we go, oh boy, you know. But this time, he spoke up, and he said, point blank, you're the Christos, God's anointed one, the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one that the Bible had been talking about. God had promised from Genesis to Malachi that he was going to send one. And he's given prophecy after prophecy of this one whom we still date our calendars around. The unique personality of all history, Jesus Christ. Why is it 2017 A.D.? in the year of our Lord, and why if I said 2017 B.C., before Christos? You see, Peter said, you're the Christos, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, the unique Son of God. All other answers are inadequate. If you merely recognize him as an angel or a man ahead of his time or a prophet, He claimed to be so much more than that, that if all he was was a prophet, he would be a false prophet. Because he said, I am. He claimed to be God himself. This book opened with the designation, Matthew 1.1. This is the book of the genealogy of the son of David. And as you go back and look at those Old Testament prophets that the Hebrews were quite aware of, they realized he's claiming to be the Messiah. And the Old Testament filled in details over the centuries God told more and more about him. He will be born not the way normal people are born. He won't be born with Adam's sin and the problems that each of us inherited from our parents. No, he will be born of a virgin. In fact, he said in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Well, now, women don't have seed. We know the basic biology, and so did they. The seed of the woman is a veiled reference to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And then he began to tell more and more about him. In Isaiah, he said, point blank, he'll be born of a virgin, chapter 7. Chapter 9, you see it on Christmas cards, that great prophecy in chapter 9, he will be called Mighty God. Well, now, the Bible in Portland... We might throw that term around because we've got such a low view and we say, that's cool, whatever you want to say. But in Israel, you didn't call someone mighty God unless he is, in fact, the only begotten son of God. And so Peter speaks up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I wonder if you know that, if you've really wrestled with that. I find that most people actually haven't. And I would encourage you to address that question. Uh, Jesus asked it point blank. Peter answers him. He's not merely a prophet. He's not a John the Baptist raised from the dead, able to do these things. No, he is indeed Christ, the Son of of the living God. He is the one whom Micah said will be born in Bethlehem and his goings forth are not from Bethlehem. Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem in the sense that he began to be 
or when he was conceived nine months earlier. No, he was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and thus what is conceived in your womb will be called, he will be called the Son of the Highest. God himself entered the human race. And Micah said, he'll be born in Bethlehem, but his goings forth are from all eternity. I'm telling you today, there is one unique personage in the human race, and he is human. He was born of the seed of David, okay, according to the flesh. But he is God. God himself entered the human race. Well, Peter confesses that. He's been with him now some time, and it's been dawning on Peter who this guy is. And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus, verse 17, answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter, blessed are you, Peter, son of John, that's Simon Barjona, because you didn't just come to this. My father revealed this to you. He pronounces a blessing on Peter. And by the way, by extension, anyone and everyone who comes to realize who Jesus really is. When you come to realize who he is, it's not because of a superior intellect you have or that you're just, no, no. Everyone, every Christian, really, every Christ follower who really knows Jesus will gladly say, the Lord opened my eyes, the Lord opened my eyes. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because you were so smart. No, because my father, you didn't come to this on because of flesh and blood, but my father who is in heaven. It wasn't Peter's native intelligence, and the Bible underlines this many times. Then he says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter. You are Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, there's a play on words that you don't necessarily see in the English here, but when Jesus said it, he said, you're Petros, and upon this Petra, this bedrock, Peter, you're a little stone, but upon this bedrock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower us, overpower it, excuse me. Uh, there are those who make Peter into the Petra, you know, make him the rock. Jesus isn't saying that. You compare scripture to scripture, which is always wise, and the New Testament consistently teaches that the bedrock, the Petra, the foundation, it says it point blank, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And Paul said, no man can lay a foundation other than that which we laid. And he and the other apostles proclaimed Jesus Christ, and that is the foundation. And that's in Corinthians 3, verse 11. Over in Ephesians 2, they were told that the church is laid on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They are the ones who spoke this out, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, the cornerstone. And so he says, what you've just said, Peter, blessed are you, Petros, and upon this Petra, this bedrock, that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of the living God, 
I will build my church. By the way, uh, when you think church, we don't think, we shouldn't think steeples and bell towers and, you know, buildings. The Bible consistently says that the church is us. We are the living stones who are built into a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's what he was saying in Ephesians 2. And it is his church. It's not our church. I will build my church. By the way, it's future. Jesus doesn't mention much about the church in the, in the Gospels. But the epistles start to talk about it because uh, Jesus was, hadn't died yet. Hadn't risen again yet. But he says, I will build my church. Let me turn, turn over to Acts just for a second. I want you to see one verse that uh, I think, Acts 20, verse uh, 28. Paul is teaching the elders at Ephesus, and uh, he says, he's, he's, he's given them some final instructions because he won't see them anymore, and he's invested a lot in these guys, and he's, it's an emotional scene, really. But he said, I didn't shrink, verse 27, from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The church of God was purchased with whose blood? God's blood, Emmanuel, Jesus' blood. He's the one who died on that cross. It's his church, and he will build his church. And now back in Matthew, the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And I, and I think sometimes we misread this because it's, it's such a powerful, and I think the old King James said, the gates of hell you know, shall not overpower it. And, but when you think of gates, when Jesus spoke, gates were not offensive things to go into battle with. Gates were protective to the city. You had a gate in the wall, but you had a wall around the city to protect yourself. He said the gates of death, Hades, general term speaking of death, really, will not overpower it. Basically, he's saying that when you come to know who Jesus Christ is, and you're brought into his church, the stronghold that was death that held you is broken, and you are free, and that can't overcome you. It can't reconquer you. And so I face this quite a bit in my role as a pastor, for instance. In the last week, I've dealt with three deaths. And sometimes it seems like they come in rushes, but I will tell you, I am so thankful for the great truth that when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are set free from the bondage of death, never to die again. And so Jesus says that here, and he says to Peter now, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, verse 19, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Peter, he said, what you've just said is the truth. And later he tells not just Peter, but all the 12. After he rises from the dead in John 20, he said, I'm sending you just as I've been sent. And you can retain sin or release sin. He's not setting up a little priesthood or some sort of pope or something where some man can forgive sin. But he is saying that when we proclaim the gospel, you can be set free from your sin. 
And I'm speaking on behalf of God when I say that. And what is released here is released in heaven. This is supernatural message. That's why we call it the gospel, good news. It's from God. And Jesus commissions Peter and the rest of the apostles to proclaim that gospel. Then, verse 20, he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. I was with my grandson this morning, and uh, he's nine. And he said, you know, I said, you want to read the passage I'm going to teach? He said, sure. And so he read me this passage, and he read it through. And when he got to this one, he said, why did he tell him not to tell? You know, And I said, isn't that a natural question when you read this? Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. The fickle multitudes, we've seen it if you've been with us in Matthew, they, when they were getting so excited when he fed the 5,000, remember they wanted to make him a king? They were looking for what a lot of people in Portland are looking for, right here and now kingdom, right here and now, feed my stomach, man. And they followed him across the sea, kind of hoping for another meal. And Jesus didn't want any part of that. He withdrew from that. So that's my best attempt to say, why did Jesus sometimes say, don't go tell him? The crowds were getting too immense, and they were not ready to really own what he was really saying. They were just kind of almost cluttering it up, making it hard for him to teach. But I told my grandson, that's the best I can do on verse 20. But verse 21, don't miss this. From that time, what time? This scene. Who do people say that I am? Ah, they're saying you're a prophet, they're saying you're an angel, they're saying you're John, Elijah, Jeremiah. They're saying a lot of things, just like Portland, just like our day. But who do you say that I am? You're the Christos, the son of the living God. From that point on, as soon as the guys, the 12, that's all that's there. Remember, he's taken them up to this little retreat up in the beautiful, by the brook there. It was one of the greenest places I saw in Israel, I'll tell you, to be up there. He was away from the crowds. Who do, you, who do you say that I'm? You're the Christ. Blessed are you, Simon. Now that you know who I am, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. You'll never understand the cross until you understand who died on that cross. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Who Do You Say That I Am? A message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you've ever wanted Pastor Scott's sermon library in the palm of your hand, we have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. 
Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app. Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us for our live online Sunday worship service at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. You can find us live on YouTube by searching for SW Bible Live or go to swbible.org and click on Live Stream. We also broadcast the service live on the radio on True Talk 800 AM. It's best to check the 800 AM program guide for up-to-the-minute schedule adjustments. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Jesus had just announced what? I must go to the cross. And Peter says, oh, no, Lord, there's got to be a better way. (laughs) You know, and it's not me who called it satanic. It's the Lord Jesus. And you don't hear him throwing that word around, do you? When he says, get behind me, Satan, I think everybody in this room, and certainly everybody at Caesarea Philippi that was with Jesus said, what? Anything that gets between Jesus Christ and the cross or tells people today that the cross really isn't necessary is satanic. We know the author of it. And Satan doesn't carry a pitchfork and have a red tail. He, no, he, he doesn't want you to really think about who Jesus is, and he also will try to obscure the plan of God to redeem us through the cross. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, He Must Go to the Cross. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. <laughs>